Well, we are finishing up the Gospel of John. Uh, not today, but, uh, but our, our series will conclude next week. But we begin this week in the final chapter, chapter 21. Now, you would think that the Gospel of John has ended by the end of chapter 20, because after all, chapter 20 ends on really what you would think is the concluding note. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples. Thomas has proclaimed what the gospel of John began with, which is that Jesus is Lord and God. And the final two verses of chapter 20 speak about the purpose for which he wrote the book. That he wrote these things and recorded these things That those who read the book may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And you would think that would be the end. But it's not. As we looked at the structure of the Gospel of John the first week that we studied it, we noted that the Gospel of John has both a prologue and like many great books, it has an epilogue. There are loose ends that John desires to tie up. And so today we begin the first part of that epilogue. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. Now I won't be preaching on all of that, you'll see where I stop, but uh, we will conclude the rest next week. If you have a Bible with you, as always, I'd encourage you to open it up. And if you don't have one with you but would like to follow along, you'll find a Bible in the chair in front of you underneath, and you'll find our passage uh, in that, I think, on 906. John chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. 
Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. We'll end there. <clears throat> so John, who was there, who was part of this group, tells us that sometime later, after all of the hype of that weekend, after all of the emotional roller coaster of, of what happened there with Jesus' death and resurrection and him showing himself and, and all of that went on with that, they found themselves back in their homeland. Remember, they were down in Jerusalem for the Passover, but they didn't live there. They stayed there temporarily for the week of unleavened, for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But that week is now past. They've now gone back home. And if you've read through, especially the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you know that it was around the Sea of Galilee where that, that's really kind of their home base. It's it's where they met Jesus for the first time. It's, it's where they all lived. It's where they uh, saw Jesus do uh, most of his miraculous work. It's, it's where they heard Jesus teach time and again. That's where they first met him. And here they are again. And here they are again right by the Sea of Galilee. John calls it the Sea of Tiberias. It's the same sea. And that was the sea where they had had countless excursions, not only by themselves because they were fishermen, but because uh, Jesus had gone out with them at different times. Now, John mentions that it was Simon Peter, it was Thomas, Nathaniel, James and John, that's the son of Zebedee, and he says there were two other disciples there. It's interesting he doesn't name them. I don't know why. I'm assuming that the other two were Andrew and Philip, which means that, that this was that initial group, that initial group of guys that Jesus called it. They're back together again. They're, they don't have the other guys with them. They've been with him the longest. And Simon Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. The others follow along. He was always their leader. So they say, yeah, we're going to go too. Now, why did they go? Why did Simon even say this? Why did they agree? It's interesting, if you read the scholars, I have never read a fishing trip so analyzed by people. I mean, one scholar even says this, that this is the most analyzed fishing trip in the history of the world. I mean, they say, why did he say this? Was it, was it because they, they just needed something to eat? 
Maybe they were hungry and they knew that, you know, they, they didn't have money and so they went out and caught something. Was it for, for the fun of it? Was it for old time's sake? Was it because uh, they had just, again, experienced some kind of emotional roller coaster and, and going out on the water would be therapeutic to them and, and would be healing to their emotions and to their soul? Or was it something worse? Was it something deeper? Was it that they were abandoning their call? to be followers of Jesus, to be his apostles, and they were going back to their old way of, li of living. Well, we don't know. We don't know because Scripture doesn't tell us. I mean, it's amazing how much scholars read into one statement. I'm going fishing. So much is poured into that. My own opinion is that they were waiting for Jesus. Jesus had told them that he would meet them in Galilee uh, they went there obeying him, and while they were waiting, uh, they did something they loved to do. I think it's as simple as that. I could, I could be wrong. But whatever the reason, in God's providence, what happened on this trip was highly significant in the life especially of Simon Peter. I think the key statement is at the end of verse 3. As they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now you can imagine, if they were going out for old time's sake, if they were going out to get something to eat, if they were going out uh, you know, because they wanted to experience the thrill of fishing again, there, there could have been various reasons that they went out. Maybe they were going out and saying, hey, Let's abandon this call to be apostles. Let's just go back and do what we're really good at, which is fishing. Any of those reasons, this would have been a massive disappointment because they go out all night and catch nothing. They're coming back having completely failed at fishing that night. Now, it's interesting that they caught nothing because scholars say nighttime was the best time to go fishing. That's probably when they went most of the time, if not all the time, because not only could they catch most of the fish at night, but then they would bring them in that morning and they would be fresh and ready for sale, for people to eat for breakfast. But they caught nothing. Now, not only would that be demoralizing, but I think it was significant, especially, again, for Simon Peter. Because it's exactly what happened to him three years earlier when he first met Jesus. Luke chapter 5 tells us this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Again, same place, Sea of Galilee. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. As he sat down, he taught the people from the boat. So essentially, he chose Simon Peter's boat to get into, and he asked Simon, hey, can you put out a little ways? And Jesus kind of used it as a pulpit. And he preached to the massive crowd that was on the land looking out at him, and it almost formed like a natural amphitheater. If you've ever been there to the Sea of Galilee, you know that that it's kind of surrounded by hills, it, it almost does form a, a really nice natural amphitheater. 
Now, that would have been good enough in its own. If Jesus had just taught Simon Peter sitting there in the boat with him, listening to his teaching, and if afterwards Jesus said, okay, Simon, can you row me back in, and, uh, you know, that way I can go on with my day, and I'm sure that would have been fine. And Simon would have gotten something out of that day. He would have heard good teaching from Jesus. It's interesting, though, Jesus didn't stop there. He turned and said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, Simon has just gotten to know Jesus. He hasn't been with him that long. And he knows that Jesus is a rabbi, a rabbi of immense learning. He knows maybe that Jesus had a previous life as a carpenter. But Simon's the fisherman. And this rabbi is going to tell this seasoned fisherman where to fish. So you can kind of see Simon humoring Jesus a little bit. Simon answers him, Master, we've toiled all night and we caught nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. It says, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. So many fish Simon caught in that one cast that they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. It's interesting <clears throat> that God had sovereignly and providentially given them no fish that night. All night, providentially gave them no fish so that Jesus could reveal himself to Simon in a special way later that day. Think about that. When they came in from having no fish, they thought it was a horrible night. But in God's providence, it was a wonderful night because it gave Jesus an opportunity to reveal to Simon who he was in the way that Simon needed him to reveal himself. You know, just pause for a second and think, Christian. There are countless ways, countless ways, that you have no idea that God is sovereignly and providentially ordering your life right now that may seem terrible to you. But he's doing it purposefully so that he can reveal himself to you in another way, a way that you need him to reveal himself to you later that you don't even know right now. Simon catches maybe the largest catch he's ever had in his life. And what was his response? Did, did Simon jump for joy? Did he hug Jesus and offer him a partnership in the fishing business? No. How does Simon react? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus said to Simon, Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That was the moment. That was the moment when, when Jesus revealed himself to Simon of who he truly was. When Simon caught the glimpse of the deity of Christ. 
that rather than jump for joy, he fell down and said, I am a sinner, Lord, please leave. That was who he needed Jesus to reveal himself to be. At that moment, he realized that he was a sinner and that Jesus was his Lord, and it was at that moment that he left the fishing business behind. Not not that he never went fishing again, but from now on, his main job was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He left everything and followed him. And that began for Simon Peter and the rest of them, a three-year journey with their Lord. And, And for Peter, James, and John, an especially close relationship with the Lord, his inner circle. It all began there, that night of no fish. Well, here we have another fishless night. Once again, once again, God sovereignly and providentially gives them no fish so that Jesus can reveal himself again to Simon in exactly the way he needs him to be revealed. We see this even in Jesus' words that that he's made this happen. We see this in verse 4, verse 5. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples, though, didn't know it was him. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Now, that's not really exactly, it's probably not the way he said it because the Greek construction here anticipates a negative response the way that Jesus said it. He probably said it something more like, children, you don't have any fish, do you? He knew they didn't. He planned it this way. He made them have no fish. Now, just like the previous time when they said, no, we've been out all night and we haven't caught anything, he tells them again where to cast the net. First time, go out in the deep and cast the net. This time, hey, try casting it on the right side of the boat. Now, here's the question. Why would they listen to this guy? They don't know yet that it's him. As far as they're concerned, he's just some stranger on the land. They've been out all night. They're the fishermen. They haven't caught anything. And this guy, who isn't even their Lord yet, they don't know, tells them, try casting it on the right side of the boat. Scholars ask, like, why did they listen to him? Well, I'm not a big fisherman, But I've been on enough failed fishing excursions. I mean, if you've ever gone fishing and caught nothing, it's pretty boring. I mean, it's it's pretty bad (laughs) when when you catch nothing. And I've been on some fishing trips where we have caught nothing. Now, when a guy walks by and he's got some fish in his hand and he says, hey, I caught some right over there. It doesn't matter how long you've been out there. Right? Like, chances are you're going to listen to that guy, and Jesus had fish with him. He was on land cooking it. He was already preparing it. So the same thing happens to them. They, they listen. They toss it on the right side, and the same thing happens as the first time Jesus called Simon. They caught so many large fish <coughs> that it was filling the net. Now notice, as soon as that happened, John recognized that it was the Lord. John said, it is the Lord. But notice, he says it to Peter. He looks at Peter and says, it's the Lord. Why did he do that? Why look at Peter? Well, again, the text doesn't tell us. I mean, maybe he just chose Peter randomly. 
Maybe he liked to talk to Peter. They seemed like they had a close relationship. They're the two that ran to the tomb together. Maybe it's just Peter was his best friend. Maybe he told Peter because Peter was the leader. But maybe, maybe he told Peter because John knew how brokenhearted Peter was after he had denied Christ three times. How many conversations had they had about that night? Can you think of anything? I'm sure you have failed at some things in your life. I'm sure you have hurt people in your life at different times. I certainly have. And I can't think of anything that would have devastated me more than denying the Lord Jesus publicly and loudly and cursing that I even knew him and have him turn and look at me. Scripture tells us that Peter ran out after Jesus looked at him and wept bitterly. Given Peter's description, how the Bible describes him, how he kind of wears his heart on his sleeve, I imagine he's talked about it. Look at Peter's response. This to me is almost more amazing than anything so far. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, now he's completely failed his master. You would think that when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he would try to row as fast as he could the other way. But Scripture says, as soon as he heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. Now why would you do that? Why would you put on clothes to jump into water? That seems like a bad decision. But the reason he put on his outer cloak is because he was, if you look at the Greek word, it means naked. Simon Peter was either naked or close to it because that's how they dressed for work when they were fishing. And he was going in to see his Lord and he wanted to be presentable. So he threw on his cloak. He threw on his outer garment and he jumped into the water after betraying Jesus so badly or denying him so badly. He couldn't wait to be near him. What what does that tell you about the heart of Jesus? Again, in Sunday school, we, we talked about Jesus. He said when he revealed his own heart in the one place in the whole gospels where he said, this is who I am. He said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. Peter had seen that a million times. To me, that shows you what Peter knew of his Lord. That he would never reject a sinner who came for repentance. And yet, I believe that Jesus knew there was still some mending that had to happen between. Which is why I think Jesus arranged this. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now notice the kind of breakfast that he serves them. He serves them loaves and fish. It's the exact meal that he used to feed 5,000. Why doesn't he simply multiply them? I mean, why did they even need to catch fish? Why did he say, bring some of the fish that you caught? Why not just do it again? I mean, he doesn't even have thousands to feed. He only has seven guys. 
Apparently, he only has enough fish for himself that he's already cooked up. Well, I think one of the lessons that these guys are beginning to learn, even from here, even from right after his resurrection, Jesus said, look, I'm going to be leaving you. I'm going to leave you, and I'm going to send you a helper. And I want you to do the mission of the church. And I think Jesus is already teaching them, you're going to participate in this mission. He says, bring some of the fish you've caught to this meal. He gives them the blessing of participating in this breakfast that Jesus is going to eat. It's interesting, though, that, that even though they get to participate, they're participating with fish that he gave them. So we understand that, that as Christians, when we, when we serve Christ in his kingdom, we have the privilege of serving. We have the privilege of evangelizing. We have the privilege of teaching and, and discipling and, and all of the things that he gives us, but we only do it with gifts that he's given to us. Notice, too, the way that he serves them. It says Jesus took bread and he gave it to them, just as on the night in which he was betrayed. He reminds them here in this breakfast that everything he did was for them. Perhaps most significantly of all is the fact that that Jesus, now the risen and glorified Lord, still serves his disciples. Can you imagine that? Jesus already served them to the utmost. He already went to the cross for them. And now he's risen and glorified, and yet you can see Jesus there with charcoal on his hands, building the fire. All of that <laughs> is significant. But I think this breakfast on the beach is primarily about Jesus and Peter. Because on the night he was betrayed, what were the last words that, that Jesus heard from Peter's mouth? The last words he heard from Peter's mouth were, I do not know the man. And he heard it three times. What were the last words that Peter said about Jesus that night? I do not know the man. It was then that Jesus turned and looked at Peter, and, and that's when Peter went out and wept bitterly. And Peter stayed away. You're not like John. He didn't come back to the cross. That was the last time before Jesus was crucified that anything, any interaction had happened between Peter and Jesus. Can you imagine that? You imagine someone you love on their deathbed and the last words they hear you say are something horrific about them to someone else? How much would you want to take that back? How much would you want to reconcile that? Peter never had a chance to tell Jesus that he loved him. So Jesus gives him the chance. Look at how Jesus so crafts this for this moment. He creates a charcoal fire. The only other time in all of the Gospels that you have a charcoal fire present is that night that Peter betrayed Jesus. That night, in the courtyard of the high priest, by a charcoal fire, the servant girl said to Peter, you're not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. 
Now the servants and, and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and, and Peter was there standing there warming himself. And here they are again, Peter and Jesus face to face, a charcoal fire between them. Notice here, Jesus now has Peter's dearest friends surrounding him. That night, Peter was surrounded by enemies and inquisitors. Notice as well that the person in question, the mysterious person, the one who kind of doesn't belong, is no longer Peter. It's Jesus. Jesus is the mystery man. But unlike when Peter was pummeled with the question, who are you? Notice, none of the disciples this time dare ask Jesus, who are you? Because they knew it was him. Everything here is set up to be a merciful do-over for Simon Peter. Why had Peter wept so bitterly that night? It's because he failed the Lord that he loved so dearly. How much do you think that night has haunted Peter? How much do things haunt you? Things that you have done to hurt someone that you dearly love. How much does it haunt you that you have turned and hurt the Lord that you so dearly love? Well, Christian, take heart because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Notice how graciously he treats Peter. It's interesting that he calls him not Peter, but Simon, son of John. You know when he called him that? He called him that the day that he met him. John tells us in John chapter 1, Andrew went and found his own brother Simon and said, we found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Peter. Now he's back to calling him Simon, son of John. Jesus has said, your, your name is Simon, but you're going to be called the rock. Was that true? I can imagine Peter would never want to hear himself be called the rock again. After how horribly he failed, please don't ever anyone call me Peter again. I'm Simon. I failed. I think it's a mercy that Jesus uses his old name because he wants to take him back to the beginning when they first met before any of this happened. So Jesus asks him a question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now there's a question here. What does Jesus mean by more than these? Again, we don't know. There are three options. We don't know the object to which Jesus is referring. So it could be that Jesus is pointing to the fishing gear. It could be that Jesus is pointing to the boats and the nets and the fish and saying, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than your previous employment? Do you love me more than the things this world can give you? That could be what he's saying. We don't know. The other option is that he could be saying, Peter, 
do you love me more than you love your fellow disciples? That's another possibility. He could be saying, Peter, do you love me more than you love any other human being? More than you love your wife? More than you love your children? More than you love these guys? Am I number one in your life? And both of those things are true. He could absolutely be saying either one of those because they're true of all Christians. But I think he's saying this, and this is what I think most scholars believe. He is saying, Peter, do you love me more than they love me? More than your fellow disciples love me? Why would he be asking him that question? Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Simon Peter was so bold as to throw his fellow disciples under the bus. The night that he was betrayed, Peter boldly declared his dedication to Jesus. He was the rock prior to the arrest. He stood up and said, Lord, even though they all fall away, I will not fall away. And Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, you don't understand. Truly, truly, I say to you this very night before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And rather than Peter responding and saying, Lord, I can't imagine denying you, but if that's true, please forgive me. Rather than than accepting what Jesus said, he actually boldly replies to the Lord, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So here Jesus asks him again, Simon, do you love me more than these? He's revisiting that night. It's as though he's saying, Simon, you said before that you loved me more than these guys. Is that still what you think about yourself? How does Peter respond? It's very interesting. All he says is, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. There's no boasting. There's no, yes, I love you way more than any of these guys do. No declaration of how much better he's going to do than anyone else. All he's doing is falling back on his Lord's knowledge of him and the knowledge that he has of the love that he has in his heart for his Lord. Simon has learned his lesson. He's no longer a man who boasts in what he will do for the kingdom. Now he's a man who boasts solely in his love for Jesus. That's it. Yes, Lord, I love you. You know I love you. My prayer for my children, my verse for all of my children is Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That's what God wants. And that's why I think Jesus does two things. First of all, he doesn't wait for a third, I love you, before he gives Peter a task in his kingdom. He only needs one. 
As soon as Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you, he says, I want you to feed my lambs. Can you imagine how Peter feels at this moment? He says, I love you, and and Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Jesus doesn't say, he gives Simon a task, but he doesn't say, look, if you love me, then you need to do big things for me, Simon. He doesn't say, look, if you love me, then I want you to reclaim Israel for Christ. If you love me, Simon, then then I want you to redeem the culture for Christ. I want you to remake this world for me. He says, Peter, if you love me, I want you to feed my sheep. That's it. How does a pastor show his love for Jesus? By feeding Jesus' sheep. It's why the worship services at Meadowcroft are not designed for the outsider. I'm glad when a non-Christian visits. I'm glad they get to hear the word of God. But Sunday morning is designed to feed the sheep. Because that's exactly what Jesus called Peter to do. And that's what a pastor does if he loves Jesus. He feeds the sheep. Because you, Christian, are not my sheep. I didn't die for you. He doesn't say, Peter, feed your sheep. He says, I want you to feed mine. And if you, Christian, are Jesus' sheep, then who am I to say that I know what's best for you more than he told me what you need? There is a place for evangelism, but that place is not primarily Sunday morning. Incidentally, how do sheep show their love for Jesus? Well, one major way is by being fed, is by coming to worship and being fed. It works both ways. That's one thing. Jesus doesn't wait for a third, but, but also notice he doesn't include any more the more than these clause. He, he simply says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon has learned his lesson. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus doesn't say, well, again, do you love me more than these guys love me? Simon's learned his lesson, but why is he asking him three times? In fact, you see that it is the third time that grieves Peter. Why wasn't one enough? Some think that Jesus is rubbing it in here, that he's kind of confronting Peter, that he keeps challenging Peter one time and then two times and then three times. I don't think that's it at all. I think because of how they last ended Jesus is giving Peter the grace of being able to look him in the eye and tell him before he ascends, I love you, Lord. He's giving Peter three public affirmations to undo his public denials. You know, the kindness of Jesus amazes me. His kindness. I think Jesus couldn't wait to tell Simon how much he loved him. I think Jesus couldn't wait from the moment that he was resurrected to give Simon his grace because of how badly he must have felt. 
You know, it's interesting that when John doesn't tell us this, but, but Mark tells us that, that when the women came that morning and found the tomb empty, Mark says something interesting. He says, entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. They were alarmed, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. And then he says this, but go, tell his disciples and Peter. Why? I mean, those two words, and Peter. That's almost the gospel in and of itself. I want you to tell Peter. Jesus cared for Peter, and he not only gives Peter a chance to tell him three times that he loves him, but all three times he gets to tell Peter, Peter, I'm not finished with you yet. Even though you failed me as I told you you would, I still have work for you to do until I call you home. Christian, I hope you find this comforting today. Because if you're like me, you have failed Jesus, your Lord, miserably many times in your life. Perhaps you, like Peter, have wept bitterly, thinking that because you failed him, he doesn't want to use you anymore. Jesus reminds you this morning what he reminded Peter all those years ago, that he paid for all your failures on the cross. They've all been done with. That he was victor over them. And he reminds us this morning, just like he did that morning, come to my table and eat. Eat. 